Good evening, everybody. We're back after a brief hiatus. Um, we're ready to talk about movies. I have not yet seen. I haven't been able to get out uh, to see uh, It or Mother. But those are the two big recent releases that we haven't talked about yet. So why don't you guys talk about them? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, uh, let's start off with It. Since it's the earlier one, okay, all right, let's do that. Um, um, you know, have you? I guess you, you guys have seen the original, right? You saw the. I, I, I've, I've never seen the. I've remember. never really watched the one with Tim Curry. I, I, I think I've watched like five minutes of it, and okay. um, so I'm not really familiar with it. Um, uh, but. Uh, uh, so first of all, how 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 did you feel it compares, Jerry? With well, it's a different it's a different beast. So let's talk about that. It the movie is not a remake of the miniseries. The miniseries is like a totally different beast because um, it's just first of all a different medium, and I do think that needs to really be brought up. Um, you're able to fit a lot more in to mm-hmm. the miniseries, especially remember this is now we're talking about also the, the heyday of miniseries on ABC. Um, of Stephen King adaptation. This was around the same time as The Stand and uh, the Tommy Knockers and that that sort of thing. Um, so it's different in that sense. I have to say this, the younger generation love it. Thought, I mean, I work with um, a couple of guys and they swear by the miniseries just because they're scared to sit out on them as kids. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, seriously. And you, you think, wow, okay. So, um, you know what, you sort of understand where the fear of clowns comes from, I guess. Um, but I, you know, as far as adaptation goes for Stephen King movies, I thought this was one of the better ones in a long time. I really yeah, I did. mean, that's a pretty low bar. Uh, well, no, uh, I know, especially since I think what was, what was the, something was on it, kind of like, we have, we have the one he directed, Max and the Drive, so right there, I mean, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, and I mean, even just recent ones, of course, the Dark, the dark Tower was, was you know, pretty, oh pretty poorly received oh. by just about everybody. Right, uh, right, right. And I can see that one coming a mile away. I was like, "Boy, this looks terrible," you know. So when I was looking at the the, the trailer for the fiftieth time, I was like, "Oh, people were people were already sick of that movie before it even hit the screens." Yeah, uh, that's true. I, of course, everybody was very excited about this one, and obviously, it's a huge hit. Uh, my thoughts of it <clears throat> were that. Let me just say the thing that I like most about it. I think everybody can agree that uh, on this that the Sophia Ellis, who plays uh, Beverly in it, the girl mm-hmm. uh, in mm-hmm. the group, it, it was fantastic in it. She she looks great. She she mm-hmm. sort of looks like a movie star in a way, and uh, and uh, and I thought she she gave the best performance in the movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, just all the her scenes. I mean, I thought her 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 major sort of horror scene in the film was the best scene in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, with all of the blood and everything, you know, sort of signifying her fear of coming of age because you know right. she's, she's about to get her first period. She's shopping for tampons and stuff. So that was 
her major fear, and that's how it comes to light. Of course, you know, in it, the the it of the title is preying on the the deepest fears of all the of all the kids. Uh, right. Uh, but for me. Uh, I was not very impressed with the movie. Um, oh, okay. You're not. The I, first, by the way, you're not the first person to say that. I mean, so I feel like I'm the first. It feels like everybody mm. loves it, but uh, and I mean, I haven't gone and read a lot of reviews of it or anything like that. But it just, you know, uh, I the person I was with when it was over uh, said uh, said, "Oh man, I loved it. It was great. It was sort of like a." It, even though it didn't take place in the 50s, it takes place in the 80s, but in the original novel, the kids' part of the movie, at least, takes place in the 50s. But he, he, he kind of fetishizes the 50s in, in a major way, big fan of everything that comes from the 50s. So right. he, he liked that it kind of uh, – it still kind of felt like the 50s, even though it was supposed to be in the 80s. But uh, right. he, he, he responded quite a great deal to the – <clears throat> to the friendship between all of the kids in the movie um to me it didn't I, it didn't rise that didn't rise to the level of say stand by me which is a movie that also I'm I'm kind of in the minority of not loving as much as everybody else does mm-hmm. it's okay but it's it's not my favorite um but uh but in comparison I felt like the friendship there it, in that movie uh, felt stronger and better written and uh and uh here it it felt like all all of the characters were just types and i didn't really feel like i really got to know them or who really who they were or anything and uh but my main complaint with the movie <clears throat> was that i felt that it was repetitive uh it was just every scene was <clears throat> every scene was uh the same. I mean, it was just, you know, somebody, you know, oh, there's something other in the other room, and, you know, they're going right. into no, no, the I, room I and to see what it is, and then they're going to be scared and blah, 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 mm-hmm. and it's rinse and repeat. Uh, and, uh, I, I get that. I, I understand yeah. what you mean. Actually, though, the, the, that's a very good point that you bring up about um, repetition. This seems to be, in Stephen King adaptation, some of them, there is that repetition. Um, even in the books, um, you know, you get that repetition. I understand what you mean. I didn't mind it here because I think what I think this, you know, God, you got to forgive me. The only things I read lately online, um, as far as entertainment goes, are the rap where they have those horrible articles, five reasons why it worked or something. Uh-huh. And you know, but the thing that I think this film's greatest strength actually comes from the success of Stranger Things. I really do believe that. I think I, I, yes, Stranger Things I mean, the, in, the, yeah. in the ether, I think that helped it tremendously. Um, but, I mean, Stranger Things is the one that's stealing from King. Yes, <laughs> yes, I know. But I think that's the thing that really... And they're having one of, the, one of the kids from Stranger Things in the cast, who was actually very funny, who needed him in the movie. Um... um I think it's a good movie. I your your criticisms are valid, Dean, but they're not enough to take me out of the. I guess out of the movie, you know. I but mm-hmm. I understand them, and I think they're actually you, you have a very valid piece here. I think what struck me most about the movie is it gets going immediately. Mm-hmm. I think the opening scene is. If I was a younger, I don't think I'd I'd be able to sleep. Um, 
from the, I thought that was really terrifying. Um, I guess it was. I mean, you know, for, the 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 native for me is that they pr- pretty much showed the entire scene in the trailer, so right, right. I, I was pretty pretty familiar with what you know what was going to happen and and so forth. So uh, you know, I mean, I, I yeah, I I I guess so. I mean. But would a kid in the '80s really care about a little paper boat? And I don't know. Well, it's that's just, a seems, good point too. Maybe, good maybe, point. maybe that would have been better in the '50s than it would have been in the '80s. That's but, an interesting point. Um, you know, because I don't remember doing that in the '80s. I mean, no. I, remember, I remember throwing stuff down the sewer um, a lot of times, but yeah. I don't remember a boat. No, that's an interesting. Point. It, it, I mean, uh, that boat, that little boat represents almost all of the connection that we get between the two brothers, which is supposed to be right. the crux of the movie. I mean, we just get a little short scene where he says, okay, I'll make you a paper boat. You you don't really get any kind of sense of, like, oh, these guys really love each other or uh, this is a great relationship or anything. It pretty much gets right to the scares and doesn't 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 underlie it with any real <clears throat> character information. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also, I should say that while I think that most of the kids are good, and and I respect the movie, too, for, <clears throat> you know, I, I hate it in movies when fat characters uh, in particular are, are treated as uh, idiots. or, or um, and, I, and I thought that they did a good job with really, you know, kind of humanizing all of the characters. Really? Uh, no, I thought they did that too. Um, let me ask you a, another question, going back to the torch. I don't think I've seen a major studio film. I mean, we're going to be using this word a lot. I can see it with the other film, too, that we're going to talk about. But I don't think I've seen a major Hollywood film where children are tormented yeah. in quite the way. I thought the scene where they bully it's Benjamin, right? The, um, the, um, the overweight kid is Benjamin. Isn't that his name? I can't um, remember, I, but... Okay. I, that scene where they're carving into his stomach... I was like, oh, got to be yeah. kidding me. I mean, really? I was just like, whoa, whoa. Well, you know, I mean, de- you know, that definitely kind of speaks against what I was saying about, you know, treating the fat kid with with, with yeah. uh, respect because, uh, you know, the, they do torture him a, a bit. And, you know, uh, but, I mean, he's, he, he's uh, his humanity is, is very evident. And, and then right. I think that, that eventually... They, you know, outside of what the bullies do to him, I think they treat him with respect. Mm-hmm. The uh, black character I felt was just sort of a cipher. He, I didn't really know anything about him. He sort of uh, he sort of disappears for most of the movie. He appears early and then disappears and then comes back. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, uh, but really, I felt like you know the girl um, Beverly, which is the only character that I can remember the name of, which is significant. Right. Uh, it was really the only one that I felt was really developed. Uh, I, I feel like she gave a better performance because she had more to do. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so, uh, you know, I mean, I, you know, I guess everybody's going to be talking about Bill Skarsgård as the as the you know the uh, the villain of the piece, you know, as the as the clown. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, uh, you know, from what I hear about Tim Curry. And I could, you know, you could see where Tim Curry 
would probably give a better performance. I mean, you know, so I, I, I don't know. I, what, what are your opinions on that? I, well, I think Tim Curry, Tim Curry's Pennywise is, you know, you, you know, you go look at a sewer grate, and oh my god, you know, you expect to see him there. Um, you know, you expect to see this clown because it's very iconic from that miniseries. So we see that again in the movie. I, I had no beef really with the movie. I thought it did what it had to do. Um, what was and, required of it? Yeah, yeah. whatever was required. So I, I had no. It got the uh, job I really done. Yeah. I'm sorry. <clears throat> it got the job done. Yeah, it, it got, got the you, job done. Thank you, Mr. Yuzi Aaron Aradia's line. By the way, Aaron is just obsessed with these Sophie Choice questions on Facebook lately. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, um, but, no, I think it gets the job done. I think it's effective. I, I think it works. I think, you know, but I can definitely see the criticisms. I mean, the criticisms are valid. Um, nothing is. How do we see? We have these, you know. I hate that thing where we have where it doesn't matter what movies, whether it's a comic book movie or what movie. There are no sacred cows. We can criticize a movie, even if it's good. We can certainly point out its flaws. I think. I don't think that's. I don't think there's harm in that. And this film certainly has um, has its share of flaws, but for me, not enough to take away from its overall um, enjoyment of it, if that's the right word. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 kind it's of... something. It's something else that. Uh... You know, first of all, like a thirty-five million dollar horror movie that the studio made something at that cost, because most mm-hmm. horror movies are in the range of five to ten million nowadays. Right. Uh, and it's pretty significant that it's like uh, going to be one of the highest-grossing R-rated movies, uh, right? And especially one of the highest-grossing horror movies of all time. Mm. Um, and I, I, you know, I think people were enticed by the images of the clown in the trailer. And uh, ultimately, uh, we're drawn to it for, by the nostalgia that you guys are talking about. Yes, mm-hmm. and, yeah. you know they're do, they're important. they're going to do the second one, uh, so yeah. uh, it's gonna, that's going to be an even bigger investment, I'm sure, yeah. with I, major stars. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I know it's going to be major stars, and I think I, I think you bring up a good point. It is the nostalgia factor. Obviously, the people who made this movie love the Goonies, love the Explorers, Stand by Me, and that's evident. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's really evident, and that's good. That's good. That's fine. I mean, it's it's a real, how should it, it is a real Gen X, um, or I mean, slash millennial nostalgia trip, really. Um, yeah. And, and you know, I really don't have really any love for any of those movies, and much no, love for any that. of those movies that you mentioned. So it's no, like, no, no, uh, you, you know, I I get it's just you know if. In a way, it's kind of a fan film, and it's for fans of all that stuff, and um, and I'm not one of them. So, <laughs> so it, okay, just, okay, it wasn't made. Fair. It wasn't made for me. I'm glad everybody enjoys it. Let's go to the main event. Let's go. Have you seen this Mother? Is, this is the main event. <laughs> this because is I, the main event. Okay, so we talk about. I think what before we say anything, before we say anything, you know, we, I think in 2017 that a major studio released this movie on as many screens as it did is incredible. I mean, I don't don't care what you think or what you think the movie's about, and you can think the movie's about anything, because I've heard so many different views. It is just that this, when you're watching this movie halfway through, you're just like, holy shit. Um, Well, even, even as it begins. Yeah, Even as I mean, it begins, because you know the first the first uh, hour is is uh, 
is in its own way, you know, is like, what the hell? Yeah. As the as the second hour is, of course, the second hour ratchets things up quite a bit. But um, oh, I mean, oh my god! <laughs> I, I have to say, I have to say, I mean, you know, look, the movie owes a lot to Polanski, of course, and to especially oh, yeah. to Louis Bunuel, who. When was the last time Louis Bunuel was uh, was referenced uh, in uh, major motion pictures? You know, I, I, yeah. You know, I can't, I can't think of the last time. But uh, so you know, I mean, you know, most specifically for me, uh, it, it, it feel, felt a, a little like um, the Exterminating Angel. You know, mix, mm-hmm. mixed with a little bit of, uh, of or 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 Rosemary's Baby, obviously. Oh yeah, no, no, definitely Rosemary's Baby. Yeah, I mean, especially the third act. I mean, the third act is unavoidable. That, that yes, you can't yes. help but think of that. But uh, yeah, I uh, God, I I was ready to not like it. By the way, oh, <laughs> I, I, was like, I was I like, I don't know, I don't know. I don't know maybe you know, maybe oh, Aronofsky has gone off the rails after Noah. I just don't know. You know, people, well, you know, you hear about people walking Noah, out of it. Uh, a yeah, lot of Noah is. I mean, um, we a friend of our um, um, Goldie Hawley posted a long video on Facebook because he knows the Bible and she says that you know, and she's not crazy about any of these films. But she says this is one of the most biblical movies ever made. Um, it's funny, uh, you know. I don't really, you know, I, I'm raised non-religious. No, right. no religion. So, yeah, no. So we would not uh, get that. We would not get that. But yeah, uh, yeah. You, so, I think we understand certain fables and or stories yes. in the Bible that you can definitely see the artistic reference. You know the. Art. Yeah, I mean, you know, for me, you know, I, you know, I, you know, Kyle Smith of uh, who writes for the New York Post wrote an absolutely scathing review of it. No surprise, because he's, I think, very conservative for for the National Review, where he called it, you know, the most disgusting, vile movie that's ever been made in in by a major studio. Right. And and it was particularly insulted by the fact that he thinks it's insulting Christians. Uh, which is, I mean, it, it, it's possible, but the whole thing is kind, of, you know, is kind, of, is is as as uh, Aronofsky put it, uh, was started off as a, a sort of an ecological, um, uh, you know, metaphor, uh, right, for for how humans are treating the earth with, uh, with you know, of course, Jennifer Lawrence playing, you know, Mother Earth. Um, right, and you can definitely see that in it if you choose to. Uh, for me, uh, and I think this movie works as a mirror into the viewer's own soul, which right. is really something something to say. I mean, there are so many interpretations of it that uh, you know. I think uh, uh, you know all of them that could be correct. Oh but, yeah, I but think so. But for me, it, it it rang as a uh, well. First of all, let me just say this: I thought the first part of it was extremely funny. Mm-hmm. It was uh, it was like a Monty Python uh, skit, you know, treated seriously, right? Uh, but but with a uh, but with the comedy still there, uh, and, uh, and and then just uh, you know just sort of taken to the to to. Uh, the nth degree. The, that first hour with Ed Harris and uh, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer. Um, so I mean, there were only about uh, fifteen people in the theater, and uh, I have to say, uh, I, I didn't see any walkouts. 
No, no one was, walked out. Yeah, and and I I I felt that we were all with it. I mean, that 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 everybody was kind of enjoying that that first hour. Now, of course, when it gets to the second hour, the laughs kind of disappear. But um, hmm. but uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They. That, <laughs> I would actually say I. I there's a segment of the movie um, that I would actually say is so tense, so tense that you're on the edge of your seat. You're just hoping that the you're hoping that the worst does not happen, and that goes right out the goddamn window. Uh-huh. Yes, <laughs> you know you're hoping you're like no, he's really not going to do it. He's like, oh my god, he's going to do it. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I have to say we're I think we're doing a good job so far of. Revealing almost nothing about the movie, and that's I don't exactly know how, how you, you should go and see it. Yeah, don't read about it. Don't just go and see it. Look, if you like movies, uh, I just you know you know on Facebook, I said I said look, go see Mother on the Big Screen. If you're a fan of cinema and of daring images and ideas, if mm. you like uncomfortable laughs and abject fright. Mm. If you can take nightmares being directly applied to film, if you have a stinging sense of adventure and a strong mm. constitution, if you dare, run to a theater now before Darren Aronofsky's vision of the apocalypse quickly disappears from view. Uh, though it has its roots in Brunwell and Polanski, is completely unlike anything any major studio has ever released. I mean... Uh, no, it's, it's, it's not like anything. Now... Let's take all the biblical everything. Let's take all the all the things that we think that it's about on a academic or whatever on a serious level, and let's be very honest here. Do you, I mean I? He really he's not gotten over being that Rachel Weisz left him for James Bond. I'm sorry. There's it's no true. Way. No, it's true. And I don't mean that. I know people think I'm, and I am sort of being flip and busy. But it's a heart because we're all, all the three of us are all creative individuals. We've all had our heart broken. We know what that feels like. We know what that feels like, and mm-hmm. we're, we're create and we use our we use that heartbreak in in creative energy. So obviously he didn't do it in Noah. Um, I don't know what he was doing in Noah, um, but, but uh, trying to make a secular Bible epic that didn't work. Uh, I out think too well. I think um, the uh, I, I think the flood in Noah were his tears. I guess what it uh, I I do. That's the funniest thing I've ever heard about that funny. movie, man. That is that. I these the tears. <laughs> but, it, but okay, I, so 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 you made that point about uh, about uh, about the Daniel Craig whether he's gotten over that with Rachel Weisz and everything. But to me, this movie seems to be kind of an apologia for his uh, for his treatment of Weitz. Uh, yes. Because oh, yes. the second half, that scene, the exchanges between them, yes. between Javier Bardem and Jennifer Lawrence, especially towards the end. I'm like, yeah, I mean, it, it, seems, it seems to be his his admission that his uh, maybe his own uh, celebrity or or perhaps the celebrity of both of them, or mm-hmm. maybe his own obsession with with his work. Yes, and with trying to work, work. that's yeah, what it is. It, 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 it's his own obsession with his work that uh, that may have destroyed that particular relationship, and yeah. this is this is his way of working through it. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, and it's in, it's I, interesting I, if I mean if if what you're saying is the case, it's interesting how he's working through that uh, by using his current girlfriend 
Nancy Allen of the 21st century. Um, I mean, who's his current girlfriend? Because I don't keep up with that. Jennifer Lawrence. Jennifer Lawrence. Oh, okay, all right. So I I didn't realize that they were they were seeing each other, but. uh, okay, well, I mean, yeah, I get, I maybe so, you know, and I mean, and, and uh, you know, if so, yeah. Jennifer Lawrence should really watch out in the future because it doesn't really bode well for her because, <laughs> well, because I mean, the way the movie turns out, it's oh like, uh, yeah, you're in trouble, Jennifer. Then you yeah, know, yeah, you're, you're you're in trouble. You better you call know. Nancy <laughs> Allen. Call Nancy <laughs> Allen right He's, now. Uh, really call. <laughs> He's 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 turning her black swan into the fountain. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, obviously the movie the movie is a, a you know a, a, an allegory about a, a, you know spirituality. You know, all of his movies are obsessed with, uh, in one degree or another, a crisis of the spirit. Um, and uh, but this one, I just have to say, uh, you know, I. I fucking loved it. I, I just fucking yeah, loved no, it. Uh and uh I I just like wow, that was a vision, that was a journey. That's what I want to see in movies, you know. And you know, it can't happen all the time. Uh the uh, you know, if it happens, you know, once a year, it's, <laughs> you know, we're lucky. So I so to me and if you can't take it, look, I understand completely. Look, it's yeah, no. it's not for everybody. No, but it was not. definitely for me. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's not for everyone, and and I'd be really surprised if people like I work with actually like that. Um, I think I was seeing they'd actually like it. I'd be really shocked. Um, so I listened to the the Talk House podcast he did. Um, I think two months ago, I, I finally listened to it this week before watching the movie. Um, that he did with Alejandro and Jodorowsky, and I mean, not that. Darren could get a word in edgewise anyway. <laughs> Alejandro, but um, it was interesting. They both talking about each other's work. I did. There's a lot. I can see there's a lot of Jodorowsky in there too. Obviously, images and that sort of thing. Um, there's no doubt about that. Um, and also, you know, lots of images from paintings and so forth. You know, well, that's I guess what it, yeah. Hieronymus mm-hmm. Bosch might would yeah, be the one I'm, that you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot Good of people point. might, uh, you know, but. But uh, I, it's wow. Let me just say something else too about it. <laughs> it's just such a great movie. Um, Craft-wise, okay. So it's shot in sixteen millimeter. It and it's shot from only three different places for the most part. It's shot very close up on uh, Jennifer Lawrence. Okay, mm-hmm. from the front. Then it, if it shows what she's looking at. Generally, generally, it's from behind her with her shoulder in the shot. And then occasionally there'll be a POV of what she's seeing. But generally, the movie does not break out of that. Even Aronofsky says he shot it like that for a specific reason so you could get the feeling of being in her shoes. And uh, and uh, it, it created quite a difficulty in the editing room because they didn't have any wide shots for coverage or anything like that. And so they oh, had really? to work everything out very detailed, but the art direction is great. The uh, the um, the sound design is magnificent. Uh, there's no score. I mean, if the score is there, it's part. If there is a score there, it, it's buried deep in the sound design. Um, 
there uh, uh the special effects are fantastic. The makeup in it is fantastic. And uh uh and the casting is very good. Now, people are, some people are saying, "Oh, Michelle Fiverr is going to get nominated for a supporting actress Oscar." Well, if that happens, it'll be a career kind of award nomination for her. Uh you know, I don't feel I they're very good in it. But I don't feel right. the part is big enough for that. But then again, you know, smaller parts have probably gotten nominations, so I could be wrong. But yeah, um, true. I don't think that it'll get any. You know, if it gets any any Oscar nominations, it'll probably be below the line. Although, you know, this is the kind of movie that you know, at one time, the director's branch might have <laughs> might have ventured out and given it, it. it a, a single nomination for best director. You know, I just don't see it, Dean. I just don't. I mean, mm. I like. I would be really. I would. I would, I would welcome it. I just I don't see it. Yeah, no, it's it's too it's too wild. But uh, uh you know, uh just god, I loved it. I I I really really loved it. I uh, I loved being shaken by it. Uh I, I loved being exhausted by it. Um yeah. I want to go see it again to go and try and figure out some things and and, and piece some things together. Uh but uh, you know, I just I I just adored it uh, completely. Uh, and yeah, not uh, not not having seen it yet. I mean, I, I when I first saw the trailers and the marketing and that kind of thing, I I was most looking forward to it because um, I, I wanted another kind of Aronofsky uh, exercise in in viscera. Mm-hmm. You know, and Black mm-hmm. Black Swan is that too. Black Swan is something that winds so tight and yeah. it just. It, and it doesn't let go. It's like in its own hemisphere, in terms of just the visceral quality of it. Until mm-hmm. she finally collapses on the mat at the end, and then it, right. it's it's done. It's over. Well, that's I, that's I wanted so some. I wanted something that. like that. <laughs> so I'm gonna you're, get that when I see her. To, yes, you're gonna you get know, that because a different kind of. You're not gonna get that kind. It's a different kind of exhilaration, I guess. It's a different kind of climax, yeah. if you will. Yeah. More. More, I would just say closer. I would say closer in spirit to Requiem for a Dream. Yes, than Black Swan. Although, although, although what it does share with what it does share with Black Swan is, for me, I thought Black Swan worked better as a comedy. If you looked at it as a dark comedy, than you did well, as yeah. a horror film, and so it is a blending of those two things. I think mm-hmm. uh, uh, so. That's what it. That's that's the primary thing it does share with Black Swan. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, uh, generally I think people loved Black Swan and I don't think people are going to love this one. Yeah, yeah I just don't. I mean, this has a cinema score of F I heard the other day. That's, wow. that's dumb. <laughs> that, I mean, is, that is dumb. So let's take a look at the other films that this shares with Bug, William Freakin's Bug, I heard. Um, <laughs> Richard Kelly's The Box. Uh, and one on, you know. So I mean, I, mean, I, I think there was one other one other notable film that um so and um, both of those both of those movies you could argue are are good movies so yeah I think you could I don't want to hear people if anyone walked out of this movie and said they're bored. I think you need your head. There's, it's a lot of things. It ain't boring. It's uh, not boring. You're on the edge of your seat. That, I, that's 
that was the that was the primary thing I was waiting. I was because I heard people saying say uh, I heard uh, one person saying, "Oh, I thought it was uh, monotonous." Uh, uh, and I walked out in thirty five minutes. Well, you missed the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, you, you missed the you missed the whole deal. And so, I mean, you know, I, it's not doing well at the box office. I think it made $8 million, uh this this weekend, which, which it's in 2,100 theaters, so that's not very good. But yeah, I mean, let's I, talk I, about that for a second, Joe. Let's talk about that for a second. So you're the, J, the Jennifer Lawrence fan. Is Roy really loved her in Silver Linings Playbook, or let's even go for The Hunger Games. Yes. Wow, you are in for a you are in for a ride. <laughs> I'm just trying to picture. I'm just trying to picture you know 14 year old girls who are who were into The Hunger Games or or even 20 22 25 year old girls who were into The Hunger mm-hmm. Games uh, going to see it and going whoa. This yeah, is, no, I mean this is not what I signed up for. But you know you have to give it to Jennifer Lawrence. I mean that camera is is right in her face the whole time, mm-hmm. and it must have been in a, a, a from all the reports it was an incredibly exhausting uh, experience for her. Right, and you can absolutely see it in in the movie, and uh, and Javier Bardem is, is is great. He's he's very. Uh, creepy and weird, and you you can't really yes, figure is. him out. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, he does a good job of keeping that going. And uh, really, I, I I can't think of anything. You know, I I I can't think of one, a single thing I would change about it. And that is uh, extremely rare. <laughs> yeah, that's just. Yeah, 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 no, no, that is that is very rare. Um, I'm thinking about okay. that statement just now. Yeah. Uh, okay, so um, I've seen movies. We've all seen other movies outside of these two, so we'll get to those in a little bit. But first, uh, talk about the honorary Oscars. They chose the recipients of this year's honorary Oscars. And I could have sworn, Jerry, that we had interviewed Charles Burnett because I remember doing an interview segment on Killer of Sheep. And I kept looking for it, and it and it's it's nowhere. Mm. Yeah, I thought Aaron had something to do with that. I mean, I could have yes. sworn. Yeah. I can't find it. Maybe maybe I didn't tag it correctly or something, but uh, it's not even in our, our archive listing, so that's odd. But anyway, he's getting an honorary Oscar. Uh, as and, is, and, yeah, go ahead. As is Owen Roisman. The DP, who yes. also Aaron has a history with Owen Roisman. That's mm. do you know that history, Dean? Uh uh-uh. uh Well, uh, he interviewed um, Owen Roisman and uh, about uh, the French Connection. There was this big uh, restoration of the French Connection on Blu-ray that came out. Yes, I remember that now. Yeah, and he talked about how it didn't look good, and Owen Roisman said, well, I don't have a Blu-ray player. And so he went out and bought a Blu-ray player and then got the Blu-ray and then brought in William Friedkin. It was like they both agreed, man, this looks like shit. They did something <laughs> rug and depressing, so they repressed it, all because of Aaron, which was Wow, crazy. that's amazing. Yeah. So we can't, we, uh, we all can't have an effect on on uh, on uh, on how movies are going. So that's 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 great. Well, 
also, you know, also can, can I finish who, who got the yes. honorary Oscar? Hang on. Uh, or who's getting it? Uh, Donald Sutherland, <clears throat> who has been uh, consistently bandied about his name, um, alongside people like Harrison Ford and the other, other actors that have never received an acting Oscar. Uh, and Agnes Varda, uh, Varda, they're getting yeah. it in. Oh, cool. uh, when does this happen? No- November, November eleventh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's go with Owen Roseman first. Okay, I predicted I, I was you know back in t- uh, 2012 on Filmicability, I, I did a couple of uh, I did some articles. I did think I did one in 2011 and 2012, and uh, kind of you know sort of. Uh, posited, you know, about uh, a total of probably about 25 people uh, that I think should get honorary Oscars. Uh, out of those 25 people, including people like, uh, you know, out of those 25 people, uh, about 11 of them eventually did win honorary Oscars. <laughs> uh, you know, Lauren Bacall, uh, 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 um uh, Roger Roger Corman and, and so on and so uh, John Jean Luc Godard, uh, Owen Roisman was one of those uh, that that I picked. So that's the one that they picked for this year. That sort of you know, but you know you look at Owen Roisman's past. Okay, so he's been nominated for an Oscar five times for French Connection, The Exorcist, uh, Network, um, Tootsie. And Wyatt Earp, uh, that's that's a pretty great five movies right there. But you look on top of that, uh, movies like Taking a Pellet One Two Three or Three Days of the Condor, Straight Time, uh, Electric Horseman. Um, uh, you know, which is not a great movie, but I, I, I love the photography of it. Uh, True Confessions, Taps, uh, The Heartbreak Kid, uh, Play It Again, Sam. Uh, Havana, which is also another beautiful-looking movie, uh, and Grand Canyon. I mean, and the Adams Family, even. Uh, I mean, wow, that's a fucking astounding career. Sorry, but it is. Uh, so long overdue. And mm-hmm. uh, now, of course, Donald Sutherland. I mean, Donald Sutherland. How has he gotten through without getting at least one supporting actor nomination or something? I mean, uh, you know, uh, Day of the Locust, uh, of course, uh, Ordinary People, which I think, you know, with Ordinary People, I think it was everybody was confused. Like, is he the lead? Is he the supporting? You know, well, the lead was Timothy Hutton. <laughs> you know, that he was the lead, but they put him in supporting. So, uh, so that screwed everything up for Sutherland there. Um, but things like even things like Backdraft, which he was a highlight of, of something like that, or uh, you know some of his leads like uh, um, like Don't Look Now, or um, or uh, Eye of the Needle. Um, that's a good. That's a, Eye of the Needle. Um, that's a good one. He was. I would have thought maybe that. I mean. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of great performances there. I mean, there are a lot of great performances in that resume. So, I mean, he's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad that they've, they've, uh, they've finally, you know, done something to recognize him. And, 
then to get to Charles Burnett and and Agnes Varda, um, <clears throat> you know, I mean, they're they're both people who change cinema. They just are, and um, and uh, just just for for that alone, even if you if you haven't seen the movies, you've certainly felt the effects of their movies on other films. And uh and particularly with Burnett and, and black cinema, uh I think that uh, uh he's uh I think that he's he along with, you know, Spike Lee and, and I guess Melvin Peebles Van Peebles and um uh and uh and the Hughes brothers, um he he changed and Gordon Parks he changed uh, the uh, – you know, it's funny. One of our fans of the show is Chris Carr, and he he and I have been talking. And Chris, Chris is a black man who's extremely um, uh, uh, devoted to movies. And uh, he, he called me the other day. He said he was very depressed uh, about um, – about – black portrayals in cinema. And he's not saying that in terms of a, what what he what he was I think he was depressed about uh was the fact that a a lot of black viewers have uh who who watch movies primarily with uh, black people uh, uh you know he he himself said uh well you know most of the most of my black friends only watch movies with black people in them, you know, in the leads. And he, what I think he was depressed about was the fact that because of that, a lot of black viewers have not been exposed to great cinema. They, you know, there might be some action movies out there or some comedies or, some, you know, little dramas and stuff like that. But generally, generally they haven't been exposed to something uh as ground shaking as something like Killer of Sheep, uh, he was he he uh, and uh, you know I had to sort of talk him <laughs> talk him out of it and, and say well, you know the power is still in, in your hands as a filmmaker. You can make these movies. I mean, you know, and we had we had a very very earnest discussion about like, you know, why aren't there more movie black movies about you know that are not centered in on crime. That are not centered in on racial divides, but are just dramas or even comedies with uh, with black characters in them that are uh, really talking about interpersonal uh, relationships. And uh, so, I mean, we had a really, really great discussion. Uh, and, uh, and you know, I treasure to call him a friend and also a fan of the show. Uh, but um, you know, it's. Uh, so, you know, Charles Burnett is a, a great choice, and and we we forget, you know, he he didn't do just Killer Sheep, but also to Sleep with Anger, and I really like the, the Glass, Glass Shield. Shield. Yeah, the Glass Shield is good. Yeah, yeah. So and that, that uh, was a wide release. The Glass Shield was a wide release at the time. Yeah, um, I saw it at a drive-in actually. <laughs> so, um, but uh, yeah, so. And Agnes Varda, I, you know, if I'm talking about her less, it's because I've seen fewer of her movies. 
but she is the she she signifies the very beginning of the French New Wave. And if if you don't have the French New Wave, then you probably don't have the movies of the seventies. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, I mean, I I have to say that a lot of the stuff that she's done, uh, like uh, uh, except for Cleo Five to Seven, um, uh, the early stuff I haven't seen. Um, uh, I have seen that, and that's great. And uh, I've seen her later documentaries, which are also great, Gleaners and I, and uh, especially Beaches of Agnes, which is uh, mm-hmm. which is uh, you know kind of a masterpiece. But uh, you know, uh, so I'm more familiar with her later career than her earlier career. Um, but uh, but she's absolutely a, a you know a game changer. So and she's been in the discussion quite a long time uh for this. So it's great. I you know, I think they made really great choices. You know, and for all those people that say uh, I know there's a somebody on RogerEbert.com that I, I like very much. Uh, and he says, Oh, good good choices for this year's honorary Oscars. Too bad we won't be able to see them. Uh all these people that opine about uh wanting them back on the Oscar telecast. Um I prefer the way they're doing it now, and you are able to see them. They 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 put the clips on YouTube of yeah, the, you some speak. of the present some of the presentations and the speeches, mm-hmm. and they're given as long as they want to accept this accept it. Uh, right, and, and which is great. As are the people that are honoring them. That that's the way you pay tribute to someone. You don't. You, you can't just you squeeze them in between five-minute commercial breaks, you know. Yeah, rush them out and rush them off, you know, or whatever, you know. This way, this way, they're able to give four a year as opposed to two or one. They used to only give one because I only had time for one on the show or whatever. Now they're able to give four a year, uh, and and sometimes even a Thalberg and a and a and a um, you know uh, a Hershop award too. So. Um, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm for it. Now, one thing that I would say is it would be great to see the whole thing, like, from beginning to end. If they yeah. would just post yeah. the whole thing from beginning to mm-hmm. end. Like, the very, very – or, uh, you know, post it or televise it. You know, if they could, you know, get to TNT or something to televise it. I think that would be a great right. thing. Although I, I'm very appreciative of, of seeing the – Seeing the clips, and they are, they're often very long clips. Uh, uh, but I, I just like to see the whole thing from beginning to end, you know. With the I, t- I tell you, I, I still go to uh, when Steve Martin got his honorary Oscar, and Martin Short presented it to him. I still go back to that Martin Short speech. It is the funniest damn thing. <laughs> he sp- yeah, he spends like he spends like eight minutes lampooning Steve Martin. It's just the like one zinger after another. Yeah, Martin Short is so funny. Uh, okay, speaking of something that's not funny, um, we lost uh, three previous guests of Movie Geeks United over the past couple of weeks. Uh, first was uh, Richard Anderson, who is best mm-hmm. known as the, the, the $6 billion man, or, um, but uh, he was in uh, Paths of Glory, and that's why he came to our show for episode one of the Kubrick series. Uh, he was 91, I believe, um, and uh, second loss was Frank Vincent. Um, oh, man. Pesci's, the, Pesci's right-hand man in a lot of these uh, Scorsese movies, uh, Raging Bull. Bill Leocardo. Uh, 
casino and Goodfellas, it's your fucking shine box. <laughs> yep. And, uh, he must have heard that he a was, million times in his life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, he was a great interview. Uh, I mean, he, he really was. That was and, uh, great. That was a really awesome interview. And, and speaking of Richard Barry, Anderson, he was also in the Glass Shield, by the way, just a trivia, a little bit of trivia for you. I mean, Anderson was in a ton of things. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, not yeah, just... We were ca- talking about Charles Burnett, but I mean, I just want to say that he was in the... He was a, Oh, was a corrupt oh, cop and uh, oh yeah, yeah. But I mean, I just wanted to say that you know, I mean, it, it's it's when you go back and take a look at Anderson's career, like you know, uh, I was just watching the other day. I was watching Payment on Demand, which is an mm-hmm. uh, early fifties movie with him, uh, uh, you know, in a small role opposite um, Betty Davis. This was just right after he died too, and I was like, "Wow, Richard Anderson's in this. His, his career really, really, right. uh, you know, uh, encompassed all of all of movie and television, particularly television history. I mean, he was in every single, he was a guest on you know every single TV show that you can name, not just Six Million Dollar Man, where where I think he, he got, kind of got you know a large amount of his fame from." But um, you know, uh, you know, I, and there were there were little uh, there were little uh, guest spots on that first episode of Kubrick series that I forget about a lot um, because there there was Richard Anderson and his phone was like dreadfully low volume. I had to boost up his uh, audio quite a bit. But there was also like Shane Rimmer who was in Doctor Strangelove. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And wasn't he Space 1999? Was that the show yes. he was connected to? Yeah. Yes. And then mm-hmm. um, then the teacher in Lolita, Shirley Douglas was her name. Uh, she was on the show too, and uh, it comes back to Donald Sutherland because she was Donald Sutherland's wife and Kiefer's mother. Mm. Uh, so there was there's a lot of like interesting little guests on that first show. Yeah. We just think of you know, so. Uh, anyway, we should talk about the um, a, a big loss, which is my most awkward interview ever, and that is uh, <laughs> Harry <laughs> Dean Stanton. What, what a titan! I mean, a, a titan among our uh, actors. Uh, yes, and a go- gorgeous singing voice, a gorgeous actor. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, you talk about the actors that, that their face can do all the work for them. Like there's there's reams of history just in their face. To Harry mm-hmm. Dean was one of those guys, man. Uh, you know, what a career. Um, where do you start? Where do you start? I mean, for me, the obvious place to start is, you know, you know, if you ever watch Porkchop Hill, <clears throat> the uh, 50s right. Korean War movie uh, directed by Lewis Milestone, uh, he... He's in that as Dean Stanton, and um, and when you watch that movie, by the way, and you should watch it, it's a great, great war movie. But you're just astounded at the number of people who are in this. I mean, Martin Landau, uh, 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 you know, of course, uh, Gregory Peck is the lead, but uh, uh, Robert Blake. Uh, 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 Norman Fell, <laughs> you know, people, just an unbelievable array of people in this movie. You're just like, oh my God, he's in this. Ah, oh, this is crazy. But 
Uh, yeah, when you see Harry oh, Dean if, Stanton, if, if Norman <laughs> fell, I blame it. I blame it on Robert Blake. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yes, uh, uh, but uh, you know you have to you have to start there to to realize the the real uh, breadth of his career because that's like fifty eight or something, you know, or fifty seven. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, and, and then you realize, okay, so 57. So the first time I knew of Harry Dean Stanton was in 79, which was a ridiculous year for him with, uh, not only Alien, which was the one that I, you know, I said, God, I've never seen this guy before. (laughs) He's, he's, he's very interesting. Uh, but then, you know, later I discovered he was in the Rose from that year, and also, of course, uh, Wise Blood, the great uh, See, John Houston. Wise Blood is the first thing I remember watching, but the first thing I became aware of him is that same year was Repo Man. Uh-huh. Repo Man for me was the massive introduction to him. Yes. And I think that was for for I mean I think Alien was Alien was the thing that people first saw him in, but right. that but that one uh, uh, Repo Man was the thing the thing that I think made him into a, a star if if not right. a cult star then just a star in general right um, right uh, yeah and uh, and then of course we had Paris Texas uh, um, which superb uh, performance. Uh, unbelievable, unbelievable sort of uh, almost blank slate kind of performance, and uh, and uh, and then we still have this. This is the most incredible thing of all that after he dies, we have we still have another Harry Dean Stanton movie where he's the lead coming out at the end yeah. of the month called Lucky. And when I saw the preview oh, for that, right. I was like, Oh my God, he, this is going to be great. That's a John uh, John Carroll Lynch directed that movie, right? Yes, yes, John Carroll Lynch, and also we should say that David Lynch has a major supporting role in it. So, so it's one of the rare oh, wow. times he's, he's acting in in smoke. <laughs> he's acting in somebody else's movie. But and by the way, John, David Lynch and John Carroll Lynch are not related. So, but no, uh, and I, I think I think I think I would hope most people would know that. Um, but you know, you go back and you take a look at. You just you know just starting his seventies work you know things I mean it's just an incredible array of absolute classics. So Kelly well, straight Heroes, time, two, right? Straight time. That's another one of his great performances. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Uh, he he is just so superb in that, and and uh, his his final scene in that is just is just absolutely heartbreaking and. And uh, he, you know, even though even though they're playing, you know, bad guys that are are robbing banks, he really he really gets you into the into the um, he really gets you to love that character. Um, but uh, you know, uh, Tulane Blacktop, Cisco Pike, you know, a lot of these are small roles. But uh, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, Godfather Part Two, for Christ's sake, yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, Farewell, my lovely Rancho Deluxe, Rafferty and the Gold Dust Twins, uh, Cockfighter, um, Missouri Breaks. I mean, what an incredible! Yeah. Uh, even even in Ronaldo and Clara, uh, the, um, uh, Bob Dylan's four hour uh, four hour uh, 
I don't even know what to call it. It's just <laughs> I tried to watch it once. I I couldn't get through it. But you know, I mean, just <sighs> wow. And then you get into this, Escape from and New York, a, and <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, and his stuff, his stuff with Carpenter and Lynch, and you know, uh, it's interesting. In outside of his resume, he was more interesting as a person. I mean, he was, and it's the reason why he was such a great actor is because he was so authentically himself, mm. and there was completely no artifice to the man himself. So of course, there was no artifice to his acting. Um, and the experiences that he had, the friends that he kept over a uh, number of years, the, the three-hour conversations he'd have with Marlon Brando on the phone uh, because they were neighbors, the close relationship with Nicholson. He played music with Bob Dylan. He, you know, and, and he was just kind of, yeah, I did that. He was very humble about it. You know, even so, he did so many movies that he f- lost track of what he passed on because mm. I asked him about uh, Kubrick approached him to play uh, Lloyd, the bartender in The Shining, and and uh, he said, "Yeah, I, I think I like vaguely remember something like that." Uh, where <laughs> any other actor, any other actor would be, "Oh my God, what a moron I was to pass that down." But Harry Dean just kind of washed off his back. Uh, he was the watch if you want to know like the true Harry Dean Stanton. Watch that documentary that was made a couple of years ago about him. Uh, partly fiction is the name of it. Uh, and he he sings during it. He had an angelic voice, and uh, he talks about his career and his attitudes about life and work. And you get to see him in his natural element, where he the same bar he'd visit every night. Uh, that is a phenomenal uh, artist portrait in in that film of him. Mm. And I will say, when I think about just single scenes of Harry Dean that resonate most. I, the one that resonates most to me is one where he didn't say a word, and it's the last scene of the straight story oh. where he reunites mm. with his brother. Oh yeah, incredible, <laughs> incredible. I re- I remember watching that movie, going, wait until the re- I, I I knew that he was going to be you know the brother, obviously, but uh, I was like, Harry Dean stands in this, but where is he going to show up? But when he does show up and he doesn't say anything, ah, it just kills you mm. it just kills you uh you know i mean uh you know with a with a life as full as his um you just you know you just have to say at, at the end you know i mean you know it's it's tragic that he's gone but man boy did he, he live it to the fullest yeah. Living yes, to the did. fullest. I mean, Jack Nicholson's best man at his wedding in the '60s, uh, you know, and, and roommates with him. Uh, just uh, what? Uh, you know, I mean, and uh, and and his his musical career. I mean, you know, uh, is is extraordinary. The the fact that he was, you know, even in Lucky, he has uh, a number of uh, music related scenes. Uh, so we still have that to look forward to, but. Uh, but you go back to something like Straight Time, where he he sings in that, or uh, also uh, 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 one of the greatest, Cool Hand Luke, where he sings uh, um, uh, Near My God, Close to Thee, or something like that. As uh, yeah. uh, Luke is being uh, is being uh, 
you know, uh, beaten outside uh, mm-hmm. after. You know, oh, and, and Lynch, Lynch gave him a song in this Twin Peaks revival. That's right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. uh, you know, and Lynch obviously loved him. Uh, you know, I've I've seen a few clips of him talking about how extraordinary uh, a person uh, he uh, he uh, is and, and was, and. Um, uh, you just get the sense that everybody freaking loved him. Uh, now, to go to, you think it's possible he might get a posthumous Oscar nomination just as a sort of a career thing? I, I think that's entirely possible because I mean the movie I think it's looks very good. Possible. <laughs> the movie looks very good. Um, so. I, I yeah, I mean it, it's it, it's sad. We all knew it was coming, of course. Death comes for us all, but man, you know, if we could have even a tenth or even a hundredth of his experiences, we we'd all be lucky. Uh, okay, let me bring up a couple of oddball older movies that I've seen. Not all older. You guys ever heard of this? Actually, I was turned on by this from Joe uh, from Joe. Our loyal listener, uh, the author of Carrie Studies in the Horror Film. There you go. Oh, okay. Uh, okay, okay. Uh, he he said, "Have you ever seen this movie, Catherine?" Uh, and he oh, gave well, I like YouTube, that movie. <laughs> YouTube link for it. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I mean, it's it's what, kind of it's it? kind of based on it's sissy basic. It's this seventies TV movie. Mm-hmm. It's based on a Weather Underground member who kind of went from. Uh, yeah, uh, a, a very privileged uh, family home to becoming kind of um, an, a, a kind of radical activist, uh, and she ended up blowing herself up. I know this movie. Stuff. I've, I've seen yeah. this. Oh, I do know this. And doesn't she join the Peace Corps too at a very mm-hmm. point? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I remember this was on Troubled Teens Week on ABC when we were growing up. <laughs> um, I'm not sure what it was called, Troubled Teens Week. So I'm not joking, guys. This is what it was called. I remember watching this. Oh, I, I was it's, an, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting movie. Uh, and it's interesting to view it. It's interesting to view it from the prism that this was what this was the kind of TV movie they made back then, uh, mm. too. I mean, this is what aired on television. And you could easily see something around this subject matter airing on the premium cable now as a, a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Art Carney plays her father. That's right. Um, oh my god. And uh Henry Winkler plays her boyfriend in a completely awful performance. Uh <laughs> Henry Winkler, Henry Winkler like, awful. like he's like his 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 performance from beginning to end, he he is so like energetic, he's almost like gonna bite the lens off the camera. I'm like, You're you're a little too rabid in this part, man. What's going on with you? <laughs> Uh, but it, it's it's an interesting movie just because it's kind of um, I mean it's definitely lost. I mean I, I know people have seen it, but it's it's not in any kind of conversation. Uh, so it's a bit of a curiosity. Um, and also, you know, ironically, uh, the director of that movie, Jeremy Kagan, he was just mm-hmm. offered to me last week, and um, because he's directed this new movie called Shot. And I think it's like uh, a movie about a gun traveling from one person to another. They did a TV series like that. Uh, Robert Altman did a t- TV series called Gun. Yeah. That was kind of like I remember, that. yeah. I mean, 
And so I said, oh, I'll talk to him because I just watched Catherine. Like if I hadn't just watched Catherine, I wouldn't have any interest in it. Mm. So it's Julie a, Kavner, a, yeah, by the way, plays her – doesn't Julie Kavner play yes. her best friend or something like that in it? And, uh, yeah. and, Jane, and usually Jane she's Wyman. the annoying one in any movie that she's in. So the fact <laughs> that Henry yeah, Winkler yeah. takes that <laughs> – and Jane Wyatt, just to, 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 who played the mother on Father Knows Best, uh, it, you know that's probably what she's most famous for. But she was a movie star before that. Uh, plays her mother in it, so uh, you know it's an interesting movie. I saw it on I saw it on Prime on Amazon Prime uh, a few years ago. So, and by the way, it's Catherine with a K. Just in case you're looking for it, it's. It's also known as The Radical. Some people, I think yeah. it got re-released. I've been thinking about that movie for some reason. Um, so that's really funny that you just watched it. I was thinking about that. Because I remember, it was like, there's another uh, movie about, it's just like, it's a whole week of just troubled teens. It was hilarious, though. I mean, it was just all these crazy movies. Um, do you have, speaking of crazy TV movies, do you guys remember the movie with Sally Field where she was on drugs and everything? Young yeah, Sally that's Field. also on Prime. I'll, I'll yeah. make it home in the spring or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's not quite as good, unfortunately. It, it takes takes a little while to get going. But it's Joseph Sargent who directed it. Who, yeah, mm-hmm. major major TV movie director, but also the director of Pelham One Two Three, and mm-hmm. uh, you know most most notably uh, on the big screen. But uh, uh, yeah, that's that's uh, uh, you know that's an interesting curio as well. Yeah. So, Kind of goes into that uh, and Dawn I mean, uh, tort- portrait of a teenage runaway and stuff like that, you know. But the um, okay, uh, I saw a movie directed by Larry Hagman. <laughs> what? Whoa, 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 they whoa, wear whoa, the blob. Yes. The- so as I was watching it, I was thinking to myself, uh, you know, everybody asks who shot Jr. They should really ask after watching this movie, what the hell did Jr. shoot? Because they <laughs> wear the blob. Beware the Blob is uh, quite a quite a movie. I, you know, I, I was scanning I was scanning around trying to find the most out of oddball stuff I could, um, and you know, I watched stuff like The Hitchhikers, which is a movie from the early seventies about just hot women that hitchhike. <laughs> nah. That's all you needed, to, and it's like a wall to wall soundtrack. Uh, I, I watched this uh, Smothers Brothers thing, uh, another nice mess. Where they play uh, oh, oh, Nixon. Okay. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, Nixon that I know. and uh, Agnew. Uh-huh. Um, it's one of those. It's a real underground movie because they pulled it from release because it was so awful. Uh, they play it as uh, Laurel and Hardy, but they're playing Nixon and Agnew. Mm. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't work. It's terrible. Sounds uh, bad. And then, uh, <laughs> I like. So it doesn't get the job done. <laughs> no. Um, I feel like I got the job done just by getting through it. Uh, then I, you know, Game of Death, the Bruce Lee movie. Mm-hmm. Now, why why did they even? I know to make money to capitalize on it, but why did they even release that movie? So it's it's got maybe ten minutes of footage of Bruce Lee because he died in the middle of shooting, and they, so they cover most of it by. Um, having another actor play that part, somebody that looks like Bruce Lee, which automatically, <laughs> it, it completely, like, it, it looks complete bullshit because you know... Now we're getting into Ed Wood territory here dangerously. 
Yeah, but I know. I know. We're getting like does it, Bruce Lee's chiropractors. <laughs> I swear to you, man. You know those uh, they're sticks, and you and you you paint you uh, paste or tape a face on it, and you just hold it up in front of your face. <laughs> I am that not lying better. to you. No, there is one shot in the movie where they do that. Oh my God! Get out! I am not lying to you. Uh, <laughs> this guy is holding Bruce Lee's face in front of his face. It, 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 that's the extent of what what they try to cover up, you know, to wow. make the movie happen. There, there is re, re, surviving footage. I mean, the, the famous scene of Bruce Lee fighting Kareem Abdul-Jabbar uh, is in there, mm-hmm. uh, and it's fine. But uh, my God, uh, I mean, they they should have just saved the footage that he was in and released it in documentary form, which they eventually did. Um, right. Marathon Man. <clears throat> I rewatched Marathon Man, and that is a supremely well well produced thriller. Yes. Oh um, yeah. It is good. I mean, even the you know I I I uh, you know it, it's it's easy when you think back the Lawrence Olivier performance in that movie as uh, the White Angel uh, <laughs> is. Uh, uh, is so overwhelmingly good that uh, you forget about all the other stuff with uh, with uh, Roy Scheider, but that stuff is mm-hmm. still effective, uh, you know. Uh, uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, the, I, if I had one complaint about the movie, I don't think Martha Keller works in it. But other than that, uh, I, I is there a movie the... where she works? Not really. I never, I never found really her work, She doesn't really work in much of anything, does she? Uh, uh, but she not was really. Like this, this uh, considered this exotic beauty in the seventies, um, which I'm sure she, you know, she was attractive, but uh, not much of an actress. My God. No, I much would have preferred somebody like Catherine Deneuve or somebody like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. But. Uh, but um, yeah, I I uh, I do like that movie quite a bit. It's it's it, it is uh, it's still uh, it, it still gives you the chills. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then and then uh, finally, uh, I watched the hero that Sam Elliott movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. I watched that as well. I I like that. I thought that was very well done. Really so did. it's clearly it's clearly a movie. It's one of those movies that. Is written and made for its lead star. Like without mm-hmm. Sam Elliott, the hero had no reason of being mm-hmm. because it's, right. kind of, it's very tailored to him. I like. I mean, I love Sam Elliott in it. It's it's probably as deeply emotive. I wouldn't even say probably. I think it's the um, emotionally, it's the deepest performance he's given. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. The the yeah. most emotionally demonstrative performance he's given. I like some of the choices in it, uh, like the um, the recurring kind of dream he has of being in the Western movie. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, I, I like that aspect of it. Um, in a way, it was sort of like uh, it was sort of a strange remake of, uh, of Wild Strawberries. <laughs> like if, if it was, you know, instead of a instead no, of a that's professor, a, good point. a professor going to get some honorarium, you know, in this it's a it's a, it's a Western star going to get a lifetime achievement award, and so, and it even has the dream sequences and everything. So um, yeah, I mean, he picks I, up the lifetime achievement award like in the first half hour of the thing. 
and uh, that's what makes him popular again. So I guess that's the spin right. on it. And of course, mm-hmm. Woody I, Allen did the whole honorary award in one of his movies. What was the? Yeah, the, was that Deconstructing Harry Henry? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's yeah, exactly yeah. what I was thinking of. Um, the hero, the I hero was it, good. The hero was good. Mm-hmm. I, I, I wish it had been better. I, I'm not sure. It, uh, sometimes those movies re- reach a certain poetry that, <clears throat> that make them more than just a little vanity product, a project for its lead star. This one uh, I didn't quite think got there. It wasn't as I didn't feel that the movie was as good as this last movie, which was you know kind of a similar kind of uh, uh, not in story but just in a, in effect uh, kind of a similar vehicle for Black Danner, and also Sam Elliott was yes. in that one. Uh, I'll That's see a you far in my dreams. Movie. Yeah. yeah, I thought that was a better movie, uh, but uh, but still, I like this one, and if only for no other reason than Sam Elliott, who's also yeah, somebody who should be in the Oscar conversation this year. I think so too. I, I think, think that's what it I is. Gotta, I think that's yeah. I think that's what it is. The only the only worthwhile thing about the movie is Sam Elliott. Like, I mean. It's it's not badly done or anything at all, uh, you know, script wise or whatever. I mean, I, I really appreciated the fact that there wasn't a lot of like exposition to explain. Oh well, I was big back in the blah blah. You know, they didn't no, have no, to do no, that. No. All you need to see is the scene of him pulling out the VHS copy of his movie and kind of looking at it uh, rather wistfully. And um, but. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean uh, that—that that is the main. Re- he is the main reason to see it. It's really, well, let you know. me throw this out here. I will say this. Um, I think he's part of the conversation for best actor for no other reason. I don't think I've seen a movie recently where I really felt his pain that he was like his a man approaching uh, his mortality. Mm-hmm. I actually thought that was I thought that was very painful. I was tempted to walk out of the movie mm. um, because I thought it was too painful. Um, right. You know, I mm. really was tempted. But the other thing I liked is I liked how uncomfortable he was with his the uh, the her stand up routine where she used him as basically the material mm. the whole night, and you could see. I mean, he, I, mean, I cringed. I was like, holy shit. Um, so I thought there was part of the movie, but no, he is the movie. I mean, you don't have a movie without him. I mean, you have no the movie would not exist without Sam Elliott. It's like it's like the wrestler. It's tailor made for him. Um, and let me just say something else too. You know, I mean, of course, you know, the movie introduces him at the beginning. You know, as a voice actor, which he really he is. He's a major VO uh, VO talent in, in commercials and so forth. But uh, you know when when Sam Elliott pops up in a movie and he's in a supporting performance, like let's just take you know uh, Big Lebowski as an example. Right. Of, you know when he shows up in a movie and he starts talking, it is just magical. His voice is unlike anybody else's. Uh, right. He's just he's, very commanding. He's, it, it is, and it, and it has so much character and and uh, and and uh, depth of feeling, and and so it is wonderful to watch this movie where we get to hear him finally, not just for one scene, but for many scenes, every scene in the movie, uh, and uh, that that is just great. I mean, uh, you know, the, really, the last time I saw him in a lead was probably back in '75. 
I mean, he's probably done some TV movies, uh, you know, where he's almost the lead, you know, some westerns and so so forth. But I remember seeing him uh, the first time I ever saw him in a movie was in uh, one called Lifeguard from '75, where mm-hmm. he plays a plays a you know California lifeguard, uh, and uh, so it's been, it feels like it's been you know that long. Since we've been able to uh, to enjoy him at length in, in a film, um, in a big screen film, let's say, uh, so uh, you know, I just appreciated it just on that level alone. Um, so yeah, yeah I, I would highly recommend it, even though it's it's not it's not necessarily a great movie. It's just uh, it's great to see him. Um, I watched uh, okay, I watched else? I watched Trip to Italy. Uh, which I thought was, you know, I don't, we don't need to talk too much about it, but, but if, uh, you know, and we've talked a little bit about it on the show, but, uh, I, I really do enjoy those trip movies and I, uh, you mean the I, trip to Spain, don't you? The, the I haven't seen one, trip right? to Spain yet. This was the one oh, oh, from last year. Oh, okay. So, oh, okay. uh, cool, cool. No, that's a good one too. Yeah. No, yeah. I, yeah. I, and I like, I like, uh, what they're doing with, uh, those two characters, Steve Coogan and, and Rob Bryden, uh, uh, you know, were in the trip. Uh, they're uh, <clears throat> they're kind of, they're sort of sniping at each other, mm-hmm. but I felt like in the trip to Italy, it feels like they're getting closer and there's more there's more of a respectful friendship there. Uh, right, than, you're than right. Like, so it feels like it's growing and. And, uh, and you know, I mean, if you like the those trip movies are are uh, the, the two that I've seen uh, are just really really fun. You know, again, they were TV series first, so you know, and I think in the TV series, what you get a lot more of is is uh, a lot more of the shot, uh, the the food and the sort of travelogue quality of of uh, the movies uh, of, of the story. You know. Uh, but uh, but very very enjoyable. But the best movie that I've seen recently <clears throat> is by one of the great filmmakers, uh, Hirokazu Koreeda, who's uh, a Japanese filmmaker who's uh, mm-hmm. I guess most famous for uh, 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 a movie called Everybody Knows, which is yes. a pretty uh, pretty great little. Uh, uh, drama about a mother who uh, who abandons her children. And they have to. Oh, nobody knows. Nobody, nobody knows. knows. Yeah. That's nobody. Quite, knows. Oh man, that's a, that's a crazy. It's a good movie. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and he did a movie a couple of years ago called Like Father Like Son, which was about a, uh, a, a father. Oh, Cameron. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, it, it's uh, he, he he. It's about a father who learns that his biological son was uh, switched at birth uh, with another kid. So the kid that he's been raising is not really his own, and the the original parents want the kid back, want their kid. So, uh, but uh, um, this movie, <clears throat> the newest one, which I think really hit uh, American Shores last year. It's really a 2015 movie, but. Uh, it's called uh, Our Little Sister, and it's about a trio of sisters that uh, uh, whose parents long ago divorced, and um, the father, uh, uh, who they've been long estranged from, uh, passes away, 
and uh, he's left behind a daughter uh, from uh, a marriage that has also, uh, uh, you know, fallen into disarray, and uh, and she's she's now left with a stepmother that she kind of hates. So the three sisters invite her to uh, their uh, villa, their old house that was, you know, owned and built by their parents, uh, to to live with them. And this is just a very, very beautiful movie. Like <clears throat> when I was when I was watching, I was like, how come there aren't more movies like this in America where they're just <clears throat> people? You know, there's drama, but there's uh, there's also a sense of real uh love between people um <clears throat> there's not enough movies i think made here that are just uh that are are um that are genuinely sweet and nice and don't involve people sniping at each other or being mean to each other or killing each other or whatever uh stabbing each other in the back or whatever mhm uh, but just a visually beautiful movie. Japan is is just a gorgeous place anyway, and this movie really uh, really puts it forth and just very very uh, very touching, very real. Uh, again, Hirokazu Koreeda is like one of the great filmmakers, uh, and this is based on a, a, a manga novel. Um, uh, so uh, so if that's that helps you get interested in it, but really great cast and and uh, you know I I just you know loved every second of it. Um, but uh, also uh, you know uh, I wanted to mention that on Filmicability, my website, <coughs> which is filmicability.blogspot.com, I have a list of twenty twenty movies from the past. That uh, that I've discovered this year, and uh, they're they're all really really good movies, um, and uh, I encourage you to go and take a look at that. I give you direction on where you can find the movies. Some of them are available on YouTube. <clears throat> Some of them are ones that I've talked about here, uh, but the lead one I want to talk about real quick is a movie called Rapture uh, from 1965 with uh, Patricia Ghazi in the lead. Now, Patricia Ghazi only did two or three movies. Uh, she did them all when she was very young. Her first movie was called Sundays in Sabelle, where she falls in love with a uh, – she's, she's like 12 years old, and uh, she, she sort of falls in love uh, with a uh, mentally unstable uh, 25-year-old man. By I wasn't Cruz. born yet. I was not born yet. I don't <laughs> like that I was in the movie then and I wasn't born yet. Okay. Never mind. Uh, but uh, it's played by Hardy Krueger. But this is this is a oh. very similar movie. Uh, Rapture is now that movie's in French. She, French actress. Uh, she uh, she did this one in English. Uh, it is directed by John Gillerman, who kind of got more famous in the 70s by doing huge blockbusters like uh, Towering Inferno and and uh, King Kong. Our friend uh, uh, Adam Long likes him quite well and uh, uh, and has talked to his widow uh, before, even went to a screening of Rapture 
which was his favorite of his own movies. So I finally sat and watched it, and I was kind of blown away by it. It's available on YouTube right now, but it's also available on uh, on you know on DVD and Blu-ray. Uh, she plays she plays a mentally unstable 14-year-old girl. Like I said, it's very similar to uh, Citizen Sabelle, who. Uh, who begs her father, who's a, a rascal old man played by uh, uh, Melvin Douglas, who begs her father uh, if she could, if she wants one of his old suits so she could make a uh, scarecrow out of it. And he finally relents and gives her the suit, even though he's he's just completely disagreeable. And uh, she makes the thing. Meanwhile, Dean Stockwell is in it former child star himself, he plays an escaped convict who uh, finds the scarecrow, takes the suit, and wears the clothes, and she believes that the scarecrow has come to life, and has come to life only for her, and it's another case of her sort of falling in love with it, uh, falling in love with an older man. Now, in the in the case of in the case of uh, and Sabell. The relationship is never consummated. They, they, you know, it's it's. Uh, but in this one, it is. Uh, so if, if that's kind of the thing that disturbs you, uh, then then so be it. That's fine. But uh, but it's treated with quite quite a bit of delicacy and uh, and heart and uh, beautiful widescreen photography, black and white. Uh, black and white widescreen photography is always to me like one of those things that just feels so dreamy and unreal. It's just uh, you know movies like uh, you know HUD, for instance, or um, uh, I'm trying to think of others, but I can't think of any right now. But um, but this is this is uh, an example of what I love about widescreen black and white photography. Mm-hmm. It just, it just you know, to me, the widescreen is the way we see that two three five uh, uh, ratio is the way we see. We have two eyes, and they, they we get we have widescreen in our head. Uh, but the fact that black and white is there, where we don't see in black and white, obviously, uh, it creates kind of a sort of a cognitive dissonance uh, in our brain that I, I I love. Um, so, uh, great score. Oh God, you're to... using such big words. <laughs> <laughs> great score too by Georges De La Rue. Just a you know uh, another uh, great score by him, and just I can't recommend it highly enough. You have to be a little adventurous, but uh, but uh, the Rapture is what it's called. Uh, and just you know, Rapture. Yes. Not the Rapture. That's another movie. <laughs> that's yeah, another very, entirely that's different, different movie. A very different movie. Very different. <laughs> did you see but, uh, Jerry? Did you did you watch the Deuce? The the, for the debut episode of the I Deuce. I did watch. Yes, I did watch the first first episode. I thought it was, I thought it, it it's promising. It's promising. I'm very yeah, curious I mean, where they're going to take it. I mean, I mean the sense sense of place and time. I, I was yeah, very taken um, by. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. How was, did, how did they do some of that stuff? 
<laughs> stuff does. Yeah. They didn't build all that shit, did they? They, I mean, because they have them walking down down Forty Second Street with all of the all of the uh, uh, marquees and everything. Yeah, I was thinking, like, how the hell did they do that too? I mean, I was just like, wow. Um, Cause it, well, I yeah, mean, and I mean, I mean, the the New York streets of today are very very Disney Disneyfied compared to what they were mm-hmm. in the seventies. Oh yeah, so oh, it, well, God, yeah. Maybe maybe it was digital work. I, I you know you can always change a theater marquee to say whatever you wanted to say, but right, mm-hmm. maybe a lot of that a lot of that extra stuff, you know, the whole street and their their long yeah. tracking shots of him walking quite a distance. But uh, it's 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 an impressive show so far, oh, yeah. and it hasn't I mean, gotten into even after the even after the first episode, it, um, an hour of it, it hasn't gotten into its main thrust yet, so no. to speak. No, which uh-huh. is the porn yeah. industry. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, the yeah. pelvic thrust. Yes. Um. <laughs> but I will tell you, <clears throat> my most anticipated for the fall, um, mm-hmm. one of them anyway. Uh, premieres in the next half hour. It's the Ken Burns Vietnam War. Mm, yeah, um, yeah. We're gonna try. I'm gonna try to watch as much as I can. I have the DVR set. But I'm definitely gonna try to watch as much as I can. I can't wait to watch that. Um, I'm really excited for that. Yeah, I, I, you know, I mean, that's that's going to be an event. No question. How long is it going to be? Do you know? Eighteen just... hours, I think. It's eighteen okay. hours, so spread out. I think spread about um, five or six nights. Okay. Um, but yeah, over, over like two about... over two weeks. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. two weeks. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, okay. Oh, good. Oh, well, it's like, okay. it's like Sunday, Sunday through Thursday, over this week and next. Okay. Okay, I got you. All right, I did not know that. I'm sorry, I didn't. Um. No, it's two weeks, but what I like about, like, the thing the Roosevelt's a couple of years ago, there's so much stuff that, I, you know, the little things that are thrown out there that you didn't know, and, and I find that fascinating, just little tidbits that are actually quite important that, you know, no, you, know you never heard before. And that's what I love about all this film. There's all these things that you wow, I didn't know that. Or, well, that's, you know, and I just love that. Um, about and just being well, able to see... See the photographs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. In the footage, yeah. yeah, yeah, and and I hear it's got a really ambitious music soundtrack, as well as a score by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, and mm. and it tells. Uh, I mean, it, all the viewpoints. But I mean, when he does something, he wants to do it in total. He wants to do do something where there's no reason to do another documentary about this because this is this is the Bible right here. So he's telling it mm-hmm. from the American American veterans' point of view, the Vietnamese point of view, what was happening in the White House at the time, the anarchy that was occurring in the United States through protests and such. It is the epic story, uh, the, the Vietnam War, to do it right. So uh, it looks promising to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does he ever fail? Uh, no, I've never seen anything bad by him ever, ever. So uh, you know, he, it, it's it's an event. Um, you know, I would like to talk about Twin Peaks, but we might have to save yeah. that for next week because I still haven't seen all of it. I still need to see the last three episodes. But, yeah, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, it's going to take me a while to catch up on that. But you guys can talk about it. There's the one thing about Twin Peaks you can't spoil it. Um, you really, <laughs> I don't think you can spoil it. No, no, you can't spoil it. It's you know, you just it's have to spoiler proof. Yeah, yeah, no question. 
But one thing I do want to bring up, actually two things, kind of three, but I'm lumping two together. Uh, if you have Amazon Prime, uh, it's very rare to find uh, old, uh, you know, great '70s movies <clears throat> on Amazon Prime. You have to, you have to really look for them. Even if you try and key in on on your computer, oh, I want to see something from the '70s. A lot of times, what happens is they they put a present day date on movies from the '70s, so you can't find them. So they like say, oh, uh, here's Godfather Part Two, and what's the date? Oh, uh, it has a 2012 date on it. So why do they do that? That's basic. But anyway, so it's hard to find them. But I want to tell you about two movies. Uh, we won't talk about them too long. But uh, uh, Bad Company is on there from 1972 with mm-hmm. uh, Jeff Bridges uh, in a Robert Benton movie. Um, Robert Benton's first movie after being the uh, screenwriter of movies like, uh, well, What's Up, Doc? And, of course, most famously, uh, Bonnie and Clyde. This is a movie that takes place during the Civil War in the Union uh, when the Union is rounding up uh, teenagers and and, uh, taking them to war. And uh, a group of teenagers led by uh, 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 Jeff Bridges and uh, the late Barry Brown um, uh, try to venture west. It's kind of like the uh, the uh, it's kind of like a study in the beginnings of the outlaw era in the West, and um, it's got great Gordon Willis cinematography, uh, character actors galore all the way through it. David Huddleston, uh, you know Jeffrey Lewis, uh, Ed Lauder, um, uh, just a really, really terrific movie. Very raw, very good. And also, uh, Images is on Amazon Prime right now, which is Robert Altman's great uh, nightmare movie with uh, Susanna York as a children's book author living in isolation in Ireland who uh, slowly goes insane. And uh, kind of a very horrifying movie, very different from anything that um, that Altman ever did, uh, with an incredible Oscar-nominated score by uh, uh, John Williams, uh, mm. that's also incredibly very, very, very different from anything he ever did. It's very influenced by a Japanese composer who uh, com- uh, contributed to the score. It's very, very much filled with uh, kind of dissonant dissonant notes and and uh kind of sound effects and clangs and clashes and uh but a really great movie uh Vilmos Zygmunt uh cinematography widescreen beautiful to look at it's in HD so those two are on uh Amazon Prime right now but I also want to mention something that's on Netflix that you'll be you guys will probably both be interested in a seven part documentary called The Confession Tapes which in, oh, yeah, each, yeah. in each episode, <clears throat> it's a movie, really, it's a movie about uh, coerced confessions, cases where uh, the uh, entire um, prosecution of the, of the defendant in the case hinges on confessions that were uh, brought out of them, uh, e- even though all of these people said they were innocent, 
the police decided that they were guilty, so they kept them in confession in the in the box for you know ten, twelve, you know twenty hours, and uh, weren't going to leave until they get a confession from them. And you know the movie is a, the moral of the movie is: listen, if you get into a jail, uh, into the box, and some and the police are telling you that you did this and you didn't do it, the number one thing you should do is don't say a fucking word and get a lawyer. That's the moral of this thing. So, But you you, you should watch it. It's, a, it's kind of a moral imperative in some ways. So, uh, uh, But uh, it, it's great. It's called The Confession Tapes. It's on Netflix right now. Seven episodes. All right. Did you see that? I think Netflix is making too many documentaries. They even made a documentary about the guy that got off uh, on murdering someone because they were taping that episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm at the baseball park. Uh, and <laughs> and he was in the shot. Oh, wow. They've, they've made a documentary about that. Is that <laughs> they got to watch it because Netflix is bleeding cash horribly on their hammer team. Um. Really yeah. bad. They're not doing well. I mean, that's that's the, you know, that's the, what they we're finding out. They are they are really someone leaked that a couple of weeks ago. But it's you know, don't get me wrong. I think they do some of the things they do are great, but they are they are losing money quite drastically. I think they're casting their net a little wide. Uh, you know, I mean, like if you make too much stuff, people get overwhelmed, and uh, well, they that's can't... what's happened. That's yeah. what's happened in this. The streaming services, especially like um, Amazon and Hulu, and you know, some of the lesser ones like Crackle, and that they had to stop. They canceled a lot of shows because they made too many. No one's watching them. Mm-hmm. If no one's going to watch them. You can't keep making them. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, in the case of Amazon Prime, because uh, that's that's the one I use most often. Let me just say this: there's a lot of good stuff on Amazon Prime. I've seen it all, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, uh, so I can't find anything to watch on it anymore because right. uh, because I've seen too much stuff, and so I have to get very very adventurous and and just try out stuff. I try out bad stuff. You know, we were just watching some kind of horrible. Uh, you know, movie that was like, uh, 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 there's so much crap on it. I mean, they, you know, Birdemic is on it and and so forth. We're talking about movies on this level, like Swamp Bigfoot right. and stuff like that. I try it out hey, hey, to hey, see how bad it gets. That's a family member. That's a relative. Don't, don't speak <laughs> Swamp Bigfoot. I, yeah, don't. Come on. He's in he, 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 I'm don't sorry. Help him. I, yeah. I don't, I don't mean to. Is he an uncle? Come on, he's. And no, he's not an uncle. He's a cousin. But um, you can't, you can't, you can't just fucking worthless cousin too. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I I, I, I hate way you can. I hate that there's so much garbage on it. Uh, that you what they can't put some some classic movies on here. How how expensive could a Sam Fuller movie be to throw on here or something right. like that? But uh, but you know, and to be fair, they they do have the Naked Kiss on there, but um. Uh, I, I watched uh, two two dots too that I think are both Netflix. Whitney, can I be me? I watched that, uh, yeah. which was uh, which was good, but not as you know not as 
not as great as I hoped it would be, but it had a lot of good footage and uh and, and it definitely, you know, keyed you in on, you know, some of the stuff that was tearing uh Whitney Houston apart. And uh and then Becoming Cary Grant I watched. Uh the uh I like that. Yeah. I mean, it was okay. I mean I I I, I thought it was better than Whitney, can I be me? Yeah, and I I think with a, a lot of Bloomfield's uh, what's his name right Broom Broomfield Broomfield yes. Nick yes. Br- Nick Broomfield yeah 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 I think a lot of his stuff he wants to put forth some kind of outrageous hypothesis uh-huh. so his hypothesis his hypothesis for Whitney was that uh, she was a closeted lesbian his right. relationship with the woman that she really loved was kind of cut off from her and, the, and then despair and drug abuse set in afterwards. Um, and I know he got he got in trouble for whatever hypothesis he came up with for the curtain curtain Courtney thing too. Oh yeah, but, uh, oh that was a disaster. But this I mean, this one's gotten pretty respectable reviews. I mean, it's it's fine. It's like a two and a half out of five star movie. It's middle of the road kind of stuff. Yeah, he's like the Alex Jones of Alex Jones of these kind of documentaries. In a way, yeah, he is. And, I mean, uh, I don't mean but, to be I don't mean to belittle him. Because we have what like Hollywood Madam, I thought was actually decent. The Huddy Flights one, I thought Green, was actually the Green River decent. Killer, or whatever he did, that was, that yeah. was decent too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, t- Grim Sleeper or whatever it was called. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, that that was good, and and you know, I, I we've talked about him on the show before. At least in Whitney, can I be me? He stayed out of the camera range, so he didn't get into the shots, and he has this tendency to put himself in in the movies and and show himself like going up and knocking on Courtney Love's door you know, to get it in right, right, right. and stuff and then being and he's, you know, he's respective he's respective of Whitney Whitney Houston's talent as well I, I guess but at the same time he must not have had rights for a lot of stuff because he didn't show some really great he could have done a shown a lot better performance footage than he did. Yeah, so there must have been a right a rights issue with some yeah, of that maybe music. a music issue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Becoming Cary Grant is an interesting movie because uh, it it uh, it employs Jonathan Price as as Cary Grant's voice throughout throughout the movie. Uh, by the way, interestingly, Jonathan Price has just recently been uh, cast. As uh, the Pope in an upcoming movie called The Pope, uh, and uh, the present day Pope, uh, Pope Frank Fra- Francis, I should say, and uh, uh, <laughs> I call him Frank. Yes, uh, but uh, uh, and I think that's brilliant casting. But uh, anyway, in this in this movie, uh, this movie kind of hinges on the uh, sort of the. Uh, it's not much of a revelation because everybody, a lot of people knew about. Cary Grant's uh, experiences with LSD uh, in sort of uncovering his uh, the trauma of his past. I, I never, re- I, I I thought it was more recreational uh, than than it actually turns out to be because he apparently took hundreds of LSD trips as kind of a um, uh, as as uh, psychological therapy. For getting getting over uh, some of his uh, some of his childhood experiences and uh, and also just the sen- the sense that he he was kind of a guy that didn't really he's British but he wasn't British and uh, and uh, he became an American citizen but he wasn't American either 
you know, his real name was Archibald Leash, uh, but now he's Cary Grant, came from a poor family uh, that was yeah. broken up by mental illness. And, and, uh, and I, thought that, I thought that was the strength of the movie was the the divide between Archibald Leash and Cary Grant. Yeah, and how, and how how he tried to f- to fill that divide. Yeah, um, because Cary Grant was a construct. Um, mm. But at what point does that become you? Especially if you have such a tortured past, it's really something you can escape under the skies of the most sophisticated person on the planet. Mm. Uh, it was that it was an interesting kind of psychological dynamic at work there, and 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 he was invested in that. In the psychology of that, I mean, he was interested in the psychology of who he really was. Yeah, it was interesting. It went into his background too. I, I found it strange that they sort of glossed over the fact that he was married to wasn't he married to Diane Cannon? Diane Cannon. Yeah, she they, they didn't even mention his, her. His other, his other wife was in there, but uh, Diane Cannon was did not participate. So maybe she did not give her blessing. Maybe because it. Uh, it was competition for the book she wrote about Cary Grant. Oh, okay. Okay, that that makes sense then. Um, but uh, but I I thought it was good. It was an interesting treatment of it too, like directorially. I thought it was a unusually quiet movie. Um, yeah. Uh, and and thought and thoughtful. So uh, and maybe a tiny bit dull <laughs> in some yeah. points. But uh, uh, but still uh, still an interesting interesting revelations there, and you do definitely get a sense that you know the know the man a little bit better, so that's good. All right, guys. Next week we'll be back. Next week we'll be back with with Adam, right? Oh, okay. Is it time for that? <laughs> what What is, is the time it? for what? No, that's uh, the okay. We got another week. Okay, good. Uh, it, it will be October in two weeks. So, God, already, Jesus Christ! It'll be October first in two weeks. Yay! The fall, my favorite time of year. Because all the good movies come out now. Oh, okay. I was just saying, I, I don't really. I just look. I don't. I, I I miss the warm weather. I won't lie to you. Um. <laughs> I, mm. I, I personally hate I hate I hate autumn as I've uh, I really just I really anything below like seventy degrees I really can't stand to be honest with you. Yeah, um, for for me it's the exact opposite. No, <laughs> I understand. Like, I mean, no, don't get me wrong, Dean. I don't like the humidity or anything like that. But I just like the warm weather, and I just don't like cold weather. It just gets it just brings out the worst. The days get shorter. I can't mm. stand it. But that's just me. Yep. There there, okay, there are no seasons in Florida. So yes, hurricanes. There's only a hurricane, hurricane season. season. You're, you're <laughs> unfortunate. We're all in. Well, at least us two. We're we're unfortunately, you know, familiar with hurricane season. Now this is all rough, but, that, but yeah. that's all right, isn't it? Yeah, that's we don't have. I'm, I don't have to do a performance here. No, you can do whatever you want. This is a living room rehearsal. So bad, got a worried mind. I'm so lonesome all the time since I left 
my baby mind on blue Seven nickels, save a dime Working till the sun don't shine Looking forward to happier times on blue by I'm going back someday, come what may do blue by you. Where the folks are fine and the world is mine on blue by you. Where those fishing boats with their sails afloat, if I could only see. That familiar sunrise Through sleepy eyes How happy I'd be Gonna see my baby again Gonna be with some of my friends Maybe I'll feel better again On Dubai Save a nickel Save a dime Work until the sun don't shine Looking forward to happier times On blue by I'm going back someday Come what may to blue by you Where you sleep all day And the catfish play Where those fishing boats with their sails afloat If I could only see That familiar sunrise Through sleepy eyes How happy I'd be And that girl of mine By my side The silver moon and the evening tide Oh, some sweet day Gonna take away This hurting inside And I'll never be blue And dreams come true On blue